Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Podcast, presented by sleepapnea.org, the American Sleep Apnea Association. It is the mission of the American Sleep Apnea Association to improve the lives of sleep apnea patients. We accomplish this mission through education, services, peer support, research, and advocacy. Go to sleepapnea.org for more information. Today we're talking with Karen Wolk. Karen was suffering from anxiety, panic attacks, and memory problems before receiving her sleep apnea diagnosis. Today she wears an Inspire Sleep Apnea Therapy device, a surgically implanted device, that means it's inside her, that activates the hyperglossal nerve to tighten the muscles of the tongue and upper airway during sleep, improving airflow and reducing her sleep apnea. She gives us a demonstration of it too. This conversation was recorded at the Awake Together Summit in San Francisco in September 2019. Karen, when did you know that something was wrong with your sleep? When I first found out I had sleep apnea was nowhere near when I started to have symptoms. And the journey started at the psychiatrist's office in December of 2011, complaining of panic attacks and memory loss and attention problems and being tired all the time. And that led to years of going from doctor to doctor to doctor that my psychiatrist sent me to while trying to manage my symptoms. Uh, I did not find out that I had sleep apnea until late 2015. Um, And then by the time I hit rock bottom, I had been diagnosed with a mild cognitive impairment. And I had been told by the neuropsych that I had somewhere in the five-year range where I may be diagnosed with a form of dementia. So I would say that at about, about um, 20, around 2017, I was pretty clinically depressed. I had um, taken, um, I had to go on disability from work for a year, and I ended up losing that job. Um, I guess they didn't want to wait for me to come back. Um, and then I was going through a process to um, treat my sleep apnea, which I did the sleep study in you know, late 2015. Um, and I think that the therapy that I was being prescribed works for a good amount of people, the, the CPAP. It's the cold standard. Um, I tried CPAP for a year and then BiPAP for a year, and I wasn't getting any better. Um, at least with the symptoms of cognitive impairment, which was my big concern. So then I did some research and found another alternative, and that's what I ended up going with with a surgical implant to control my sleep apnea. So I would say going through the insurance process to get covered, that's when I hit rock bottom. But luckily there was somebody at the company that made the device that was helping me through the insurance approval process that like talked me, talked me down. Um, and told me, not, don't give up, this isn't over. It did take a year to get approved. Um, but during, and during that year, it was probably the worst year of my life, just waiting um, to, to find a solution that would work. What is this device, and how does it work? So I received a sleep apnea implant called Inspire um, last August. Um, actually, it was activated in last August. It was put in um, in July. And it's, um, it's a sleep apnea implant that is similar to a pacemaker. It's actually the same form factor as a pacemaker. It's just on the other side. And it's called a hypoglossal nerve stimulator. So I have um, had surgery to place. Um, there's, a, there's a device here that cuffs my hypoglossal nerve. 
And when I turn on my device and go to bed, um, my tongue moves out of my airway. Um, there's a sensing lead here, um, intercostal um, placed. And of course, everything's inside, all the hardware's inside. The only thing that I have to control is the remote. And I'm able to um, turn on and off the therapy, um, and then I can pause it. And um, I can also titrate, I titrated my device at home. They set the minimum and maximum levels in the office. And then I go home and work within my therapeutic range. My um, apnea was at, they call this a um, AHI. It was, um, and people that know about sleep apnea know what that means. But the apnea, hypoapnea index, I had 20.6. So my, I would stop breathing tw an average of 20.6 times an hour, up to 76 seconds at a time, and my oxygen saturation was down to 82%. So that explained my cognitive impairment pretty well. And with this, I got it to um, AHI of four, and my oxygen saturation doesn't go any lower than 90 now. So it literally saved me. Um, and I you know, had, went from having panic attacks and forgetting everything to being able to like remember like if you asked me a question, I wouldn't have been able to answer it because within a couple of seconds, I would have forgotten what the question was. You know, now I can actually like focus and get back some, most of the functioning that I had previous. And I used to be a trainer and a salesperson at, at um, electronics manufacturer, and it made it really difficult um, when I couldn't remember the, f I was training on a camera and I couldn't remember the words lens cap. That was back when I first saw the doctor in 2011. Um, and then it kind of went from there. It made it very difficult because I was used to presenting to large groups and I couldn't remember simple words. Um, and then I started to forget people and then um, it kind of went from there. I would get lost everywhere. And now I don't have any of that happening anymore because now I actually breathe when I sleep rather than, you know, just desaturating every night. How does the Inspire implant differ from CPAP therapy? When I received my implant, there was just a couple thousand people in the country, but they have over 6,000 people who have received the implant. And I believe, the, and this is just my guess, that there is a large segment of population that may be um, either, I would call CPAP intolerant. And um, so there are those that just don't want to do it. And then there are those that are, for some reason, intolerant. They have claustrophobia. They um, find themselves that they've thrown the mask on the floor at night. They're not getting symptom relief. So maybe they are breathing at night with the machine, but they're not getting better. So this, this particular device was created. Um, it was like a, the company that the engineer came from was Medtronic, and it um, was actually a pacemaker, and they repurposed the technology to be like a pacemaker for sleep apnea. And so they were able to start another company called Inspire. And that technology, um, they had to test it and go through all of, um, they have like a, a group of test people. They actually are trying to figure out how long the battery lasts. Right now I hear 11 years, but there aren't a lot of people that have had it for 11 years. Um, so I'm assuming I at least have 11 years on my battery. Um, the, Device has, I, I would say, um, had mixed reception from, from patients because by the time they get to, not because of the device itself, but by the time they get to the point where they might be a candidate for it, they've already had such a bad experience. So they already have 
tremendous amount of depression and anxiety. And so these are some of the most difficult to treat patients. Um, and so some of them are apprehensive about the idea that it's a surgery, but it's literally a very simple surgery, you know, with three incisions and an outpatient procedure. Um, to me, there was no other choice. Can you give us a demonstration of your implant? I can show you what it does because it's pretty amazing. I don't know if you're going to be able to capture this at all. When I turn it on, my tongue moves um, out of the way, my airway for four seconds, and then 30 minutes later, it'll start the therapy. And of course, I would be asleep. And right now, it's turning on. It makes a beeping noise to let me know that it's ready. I keep it on my nightstand. Um, and I have mine set at a level seven, and those are all personalized settings. Everybody's level seven is different. So I'm gonna show you this. And that's it. So when I inspire or inhale, my tongue moves out of the way after you know the first 30 minutes after I turn it on. So I have 30 minutes to go to bed. If I wanna get up and use the restroom, I pause it. Um, if it does sound, I, my speech is a little impaired when, if it's left on and I try to talk, which I do find amusing. Um, I have, I, I, I like to, um, sometimes if like one of my kids wants to talk to me, sometimes I'll just purposely leave it on. And usually nobody wants to bother me at night now, so that's nice. Um, I, I can stop the therapy here and the plus and minus signs are how I kind of titrate up. Um, I did find that if I drink a lot of alcohol, I do need to turn it up. So I do have a little bit of room in here to work with. Um, so I'm work, working out at a seven, I would put it at an eight if it was like something that I, if I indulged in alcohol. Otherwise, um, this is all I need. I go through the airport without, you know, my big machine. Now I just have the remote. With the implant, did symptoms improve immediately? When I received the implant in July, it was like the end of July, they, you go to an outpatient procedure and they, um, do put all the hardware in and then you go home and recover and then a month later you return to turn it on. So they activated the device in the office a month later and then they give you time to adjust to the settings. So then they bring you back in after you know a certain amount of weeks and depending on kind of how you're doing, they'll bring you back in for your titration study. And I would say even the first night after activation was a huge difference. My sleep is so good now. I have my um, device set to 10 hours. Um, I would rarely before this sleep more than four hours, but I can sleep 10 hours. Um, and so I like to have it as a set point in case I do. And then I can turn it off if I, if I don't. But it was, it, it was like forgetting who I was. I forgot who my boyfriend was. He would kiss me goodnight and I didn't recognize him anymore, which I think scared him more than me. Um, because I thought he was really nice and I knew that I cared about him and I wanted him there, but I didn't know who he was. And I remember his description of me before, he used to just sit up and watch me stop breathing all the time. And now um, if I forget to turn my device on, um, he'll actually turn it on for me. Um, and he knows when I'm going to bed because you hear a beeping noise when it turns on. Um, so it really has, over the last year and month or so, it, it's been completely different. I would say within three to four months, the cognitive impairment started to resolve. 
Um, and the hypersomnia is just being tired all the time, like just dragging myself through life. Um, I did, you know, I was so bad off that I was actually taking a pill to stay awake. Um, and uh, so I got a prescription for that and I took it for that year while I waited for my implant. And that gave me just enough time to get to work so I keep my benefits so I could get my surgery. So it was kind of like, um, the pill was only supposed to be taken for a short amount of time. I took it as far as it would work. And I literally was at the end of the pill fun you know, functioning. I could get about six hours in and then I have to go home and go to sleep. So now I work more than full time and I'm back to being able to you know, um, do my job and really love my job versus just kind of existing. I'm actually living. Um, so it's huge. Now I, I feel like um, there, there's a whole, it's like a second chance at, at, at doing things right this time. So I do take my sleep a lot more seriously now and I don't think of it as something that is a luxury. It is actually a necessity. And, and so that's, I think, like the biggest thing I learned from this whole experience is you, you really need to think about the things that you do when you're asleep. You, don't, you might not remember them, but they are actually impacting you when you're awake. Is the cognitive damage you suffered permanent or can it be reversed? I had had an MRA of my brain before to see if the damage was going to be more permanent and they said it was not. So um, as far as like reversing, I would say that the cognitive impairment symptoms are almost gone. There are times when I can feel that maybe I didn't sleep well and some of, you know, excessive sleepiness and a little bit of like forgetfulness, but literally it went from like I could put my glasses down somewhere and then just walk two steps and forget they were there. Now I don't have those kind of problems. I remember that moment to moment thing that goes on, you know, that's normal. Um, and then people would say, oh, that's like a senior moment. But when it was happening all the time, it no longer was like, there was no excuse for it. Um, and I would actually fall asleep talking, um, which was strange because I thought that's something that you only do like in your 80s. But I would be sitting up talking. I could, um, you know, they have a scale, the Epi Worth Sleepiness Scale, and it rates, I used to get a 16, I now get a 1. So, like, it was like, do you fall asleep sitting? Do you fall asleep watching TV? There wasn't anything I wouldn't fall asleep doing. Um, I actually had stopped using my computer for a whole year, um, and, I, and I stopped reading. Um, it was too difficult to pay attention, and I had a hard time following television, just like the storylines of any show. I just, and that's why I could watch the same show over and over again and not really get it. Um, like, you know, where you realize you're watching a comedy and you're not laughing? Because you just aren't connecting. So, like, those, that's, the stickiness of memories wasn't there, remembering the people. Now when I see somebody, I used to, if I saw you at the grocery store and then I saw you somewhere else, I wouldn't recognize you. But now I can. So how is your life now with a diagnosis and treatment? My life has improved drastically in many ways, and I believe it's the, number one, I, I, I feel hopeful. Um, I had lost all hope. Um, I, my life is now, I dedicate a large amount of my life to helping other patients. Um, when I see somebody that's going through symptoms that remind me of me, um, I feel the need, the compelled to connect with them and let them know that it is okay and that I remember what it feels like. Um, 
I lived in fear of wondering what I was going to forget next. I used to try to like quiz myself on stuff. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to wake up in the morning and worry that the day is, you know, going to be really frustrating and depressing. Um, I was before having like even I'd wake up with vision issues. I could only have like tunnel vision and my hearing was starting to go. I don't have any of that anymore. I believe most of my issues were just not enough oxygen to my brain. And now that my tongue moves out of the way, it really does make the difference. Karen, what are some benefits of the Awake Together Summit? I believe that the conference, the value it brings to like a patient that maybe watches it on online um, is when you get a diagnosis of sleep apnea or even when someone tells you you need to go t- get tested, Generally, there's this apprehension to even want to acknowledge it because the therapy looks scary. And um, I gave it my best, you know, all of the therapy. And I would tell you the therapy isn't the scary part. The scary part is what happens when you're not doing it. Um, When you just give up. I could have just given up when I was told that I wasn't improving. I could have just said no more. But advocating for yourself or for your loved ones is so important because otherwise there is no hope. And um, I think that having a a place where you can meet, talk to people, or a place where you can go online and connect with people, I've talked to people all over the country that are suffering needlessly because maybe they have like the wrong mask or maybe they're at the wrong setting or maybe they're they're afraid of being called non-compliant so they don't go to the sleep doctor. But taking away the stigma of that this is an actual medical condition. It isn't like there's a reason like that guy falls asleep at his desk and it isn't because he's lazy or he went out too late last night. It's because he has something wrong. You know, To take away the stigma so that people will accept it just like they do any other medical condition. And I think that's the whole purpose. And to keep people from giving up hope and, and um, just giving up in general. Thanks for joining us. To learn more, get a transcript, see the video of this interview, and much, much more, go to sleepapnea.org. You'll also find links to all our social media feeds. You can subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The theme music is Deliberate Thought by Kevin McLeod via filmmusic.io and incompetech.com. Please join us next time. Thank you.